Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano De Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. You know, I've been really interested in the notion of fractalization ever since I started reading Mark Buchanan's Ubiquity, nearly 20 years ago now. I love the idea that we can learn about the whole by drilling down into the exquisitely small. Tanya Sheckley is founder and president of the UP Academy. It's a micro school, an elementary lab school of 16 students, and it values innovation, empathy, and strength. It incorporates a unique neurodevelopment program for children with physical disabilities. Sometimes we can think to ourselves that it may be that the way that we understand education is by looking at the broad sweep. I'm not so sure about that. I reckon that if we drill deep on an example of how it works together really, really well in a small community, we can fractalise up and learn how to change what we're doing in our world. I'm really excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 7 sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course I can. We are proud to be partnered with EDAPT Education. EDAPT Education helps schools from around Australia bring together their academic engagement, well-being, intervention and student voice data onto one platform. Let your data work for you to improve the academic growth and well-being of all students in your school. For training and support to help you get started, visit www.edapt.education. That's www.edapt.education. Let's go. Phil, it is so awesome to be with you today. How is the city of Sydney faring for you this morning? Look, Adriano, the city of Sydney is faring very well, but I'm grieving for you and the loss of the blue bags on the weekends mm. because yet again, they demonstrated just that lack of whatever it takes. <laughs> I, I thought you're actually predicting our loss this weekend, which is probably going to happen anyway. Uh, but it's just one of those things, Phil, we're going to keep persevering and uh, the blues will, will bounce back eventually. Sorry, Tanya, this is just a banter between the two of us around our, our football code teams. Uh, that is totally irrelevant for anyone in, uh, in the uh, West coast of uh, the United States. Anyway, let's get to our wonderful guest that we have today. I'm really excited about this conversation today, Phil. Tanya, I'm going to come straight to you. I'm going to ask you the very first question, and it's a question that we obviously ask every single one of our game changers, and that is tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Um, before I start sharing too much of my story, I am going to share that my football team, although we call it soccer here, also won mm -hmm. last weekend. Um, so we're really excited about that, our first home game, and, and the boys brought us a win. So... So, Tanya, so Tanya, Tanya, that makes one out of three whose football teams uh, won. Because I have to, I have to confess that the Waratahs yet again, which is my my football team, got absolutely pummeled last time they played. So I'm just going to go back in my corner and be quiet and listen to you. And and Tanya, <laughs> we're actually talking now about three different sporting codes. Phil is talking about rugby union. I'm talking about AFL rules, and you're talking about soccer. So we're just covering the whole spectrum here of. Uh, of football uh, codes and language. 
Yes. Well, uh, our story and how we got started with UP Academy. So I wasn't in education to begin with. Uh, my oldest daughter was born with cerebral palsy and she was extremely intelligent and curious and social, but was unable to walk, was unable to talk, didn't have the expressive language. And so we, we'd spent the first five years of her life traveling essentially around the world, doing, looking at different programs, trying to find people who would help her overcome her brain injury and help her reach her potential. We got to the public school system and asked them for different accommodations and asked them to do some things that were unique to us, definitely, and weren't things that they were typically doing. Um, and the school district said no and offered you know, what they could offer as a typical school district. And we started thinking that there really could be a better way to do education. We did enroll my daughter and she started with the public school district. And we got lucky that we had phenomenal teachers our first few years that had a, a wide range of experience with a wide range of students. And the thing that really surprised me the most um, was how well all of the other students accepted her. Um, I grew up in a time when special education was a dark room in a dark corner of a school with the door closed. It was very separate, very segregated from the rest of the school. And so it, it kind of became this dark and scary place. And I didn't want my daughter to be a part of that. And I didn't want other kids to be afraid of interacting with her. Um, but that's not what happened at all. What we realized is that kids really just see other kids. They don't see disabilities. They see opportunities and someone new to play with and someone new who incidentally loves soccer. Um, it really shaped the vision for us of what education could look like from an inclusive standpoint. Um, it was a project-based elementary school, which we've taken the project-based learning that I kind of learned from there many steps further with what we're doing with UP Academy. But that was the original, kind of the original impetus for it was seeing my daughter, you know, in the public school in an inclusion space and seeing how well that worked. But also she was still in a space where she wasn't getting the therapeutics that she was really going to need to be independent. And when she was getting those, she was getting pulled out of the academic classes that she also needed to be successful. So we have a student who it already takes her more time to finish projects and to finish assignments because of her disabilities. And she was actually getting less time to do them because she's getting pulled out of class for other services and therapeutics and other things. Um, so we just really thought there could be a better way. So we started talking to other families and, and everyone else kind of had the same pain points that we did. And so that really led to the birth of, of what is now UP Academy. Um, through that process, you know, we, we initially got our certification for our nonprofit status in 2015. Um, my daughter unexpectedly passed away in March of 2016. Um, so that was another kind of turning point for my family of what do we do with this project? Do we move forward with this or do we step back? Um, and we just really came to an understanding that we had learned so much from her and learned so much about education and learned so much about other kids like her and what could be possible that we needed to move forward with our vision and with creating an inclusion academy um, so that all students could reach their ultimate potential, which is what UP actually stands for. First of all, thank you very much for sharing such a very personal story. And, and uh, I'm sorry uh, for the passing of, of your daughter. It's, uh, it's always really difficult, but it's clear to me that her inspiration is going to continue on and support so many others who are going to benefit from your drive 
to to transform their lives and and i love the fact that it's called the up academy there's such positivity about that phrase in itself about and and uh, and strength and power in that so much now of your work is centered around changing that narrative around the neurodivergent individuals uh, through awareness through education through engagement can, can you explain to our listeners a little bit about the work that you're actually doing at up academy particularly in support of those children with physical disabilities Sure. You know, in all honesty, I, there's not a great deal that's special about it. Um, we really believe that all kids are capable of learning and that all kids are capable of participating and all kids have valuable knowledge and information to share with their peers. Um, and so all of our kids do all the same curriculum. They're expected to problem solve. They're expected to collaborate. They're expected to work together. And so all of our kids have the same expectations in the classroom, which I guess that piece is probably part of the shift that makes our school unique and that so many of us, because of the way that we view disability, often have different expectations for those children who do have disabilities. And whether that's conscious on our part or unconscious or even something that we've learned through training as we're learning how to work with students in the special education system, but when you change that narrative and you give students the same expectations and you, you, know, you expect them to access the same curriculum and you expect them to reach the same heights, it's incredible how often students actually step up to that and reach your expectations. So part of one of the things that I talk a lot about is the expectations gap. And that's the distance between sometimes what our educators or even we ourselves expect of ourselves or of students versus what's actually possible for them uh, when we raise that bar. And so we essentially, we put all of our students on an even playing field uh, and we give the students with physical disabilities the support that they need to have an accessible curriculum to participate as fully as any other student. And then we expect all of our students to work together. And I'm really interested in listening to you and learning from you around your whole philosophy around this. If I can, if I can just set a little context, we live in a world where right now, the notion of all kids, all kids, all kids, all students, all students, all students is being challenged by a loud set of philosophies that are calling on us all over the place to focus on the individual, the special needs of different groups. And yet at this time, you're talking about all students, all students, all students. How do you balance that demand for what is special to a group or what is special to an individual and those expectations that we should be having for all students to succeed and to flourish and to thrive in their world. Sure. So I, yeah, I'm speaking of all students and having the same expectations of all of them, but not necessarily at the same time, at the same pace, in the same place. Um, so we balance that. As you mentioned, we're a very small school. Um, and I really believe that by taking our really large schools and turning them into smaller micro school models, we can better serve all of our students. Um, because all of our students are special and you shouldn't have special education to make you special. All of our students should have their own individual learning plan. Every student has their own unique strengths and weaknesses and challenges and interests. And so as a school, we really, you know, we keep our class sizes small. We get to know all of our students and we really personalize a lot of what we do through differentiated levels, through activity centers, through allowing our students to follow their interests, to be very individual and personalized while still holding them to the same standards and expectations. 
Um, I really, really enjoy hearing that. Um, Adriano would be way too modest to mention it, but in, in his career as an educator in Australia, he was responsible for introducing a similar program of individual learning programs right across the entire school at the Marceline College at Berlin. It was quite an extraordinary thing. The challenge of doing stuff differently, though, of course, it's that E.E. Cummings thing. Um, uh, you know, the hardest thing in the world is to be yourself when everybody wants to make you the same as everybody else. You know, it's that pull mm -hmm. towards the average and that that tension around that. I want to explore, if I can, the notion of diversity and equity and inclusion, because, again, there's a clarion call in our times to do this stuff properly. And yet we run the risk that by doing the diversity, equity, and inclusion thing, that we take people who have ostensibly similar categories and we put them in little boxes and then we keep the boxes separated from each other rather than weaving it through the warp and weft of life at a school. What does it look like when we take into account diversity and principles of equity and particularly principles of inclusion? What does it look like in the daily life of a school? I think it looks like any other school. <laughs> um, our, our students are just more diverse. You know, I, I know there's a big movement for diversity and inclusion. And I know, you know, our way of doing this is, is one way. And lots of people around different companies, corporations, different schools are doing it in lots of different ways. Um, and, and I think all of us are going to make mistakes and, and mess it up in our own special ways. But we really, you know, kind of what I said before, we really have the same expectations of all of our students. So each of them you know, is learning at their own level and their own pace. Um, one of the analogies that I really like is uh, popcorn kernels in a pan. You put them all in at the same time, you put them on the same heat, you have the same expectation that they're gonna pop, but none of them pops at the same time. They all pop at different times. Um, and it's, it's the same way with learners. And so we provide that curriculum, we give them direction, we provide structure, you know, and also areas of them for them to be autonomous, um, but then allowing them that space to pop at their own time. Um, so, so let's talk about some of those, those pops, shall we? We talk a lot about the competencies that students need to thrive in their world. And, and at the School for Tomorrow, which is our organisation, we talk about a set of graduate outcomes we, that we want all students to emerge from their schooling as good people, as future builders, as continuous learners and unlearners, as solution architects, as responsible citizens and team creators. And we didn't just make that up one day because we thought it sounded good. You know, We went right across the world and we talked to schools right around the world about what school communities want for their children. And again, it's, it's that thing that, you know, Parents want the same sort of things for their kids in terms of outcomes. And then there, of course, the competencies and the skills. So, you know, we talk about, and here are the pops, the literacy, the numeracy, the science thinking, the digital technology, the entrepreneurship, the creative and critical thinking, the communication, the problem solving, initiative, adaptability. It's, it's like going to an education conference, isn't it? Really <laughs> listening to all these sorts of things going on there. How does Up Academy do this? How does Up Academy make these pops happen? How is it committed to teaching young people all of these competencies and achieving all of these sorts of outcomes? You say it's like any other school, but you've already you've already said that you know every student is learning at their own level and, and their own pace, and so that's not like every school. Yeah, that's true. I, I forget that we are more unique than I pretend that we are. <laughs> We started in a very similar way. The first thing that we did when we looked at founding the school was sit down and look at our graduate standards and where we wanted our students to be when they left us. 
And so the five that we pulled out that we really focus on as, as character traits and as, as graduate standards and as skills that we push through all of our projects through all of the grades um, are looking at social emotional learning and helping our students to understand their own emotions, understand emotions in others, to be self-aware and to be able to self-regulate. Executive functioning thinking. So as they go through projects and especially, you know, it's different from kindergarten all the way through fifth grade, but gaining increasing autonomy in project and taking increasing responsibility um, through that project learning as they move on. So gaining those, uh, the ability to set a goal figure out the milestones and, and the time you need to get to reach that goal um, and giving students that time management and personal management skills. The next two I, I tie pretty closely together and that's a scientific mind and a growth mindset. So scientific mind is like you were saying, um, it ties in entrepreneurship, it ties in science, engineering, technology, all of those things that start with having an idea, coming up with a solution, testing a solution, finding where its faults or strengths are, revising and going through the cycle again. Um, and that happens in business, it happens in science, it happens in design. Um, and so that's the scientific mind piece, which ties really closely into a growth mindset. So for all of our students understanding that they might not be able to do something today, but that doesn't mean they can't learn it and be able to do it tomorrow. And that's the thinking of the power of yet and the mindset of, you know, this thing may have failed this time or these pieces of it didn't work the way I thought it would. How can I revise that? I haven't failed. I shouldn't quit. I've just found something that doesn't work. And so how can I do it a different way? Um, and the last piece for us tying all these things together is influencing action. So how do I take all of the knowledge, the concept, the skills that I learn in school and make a difference in the world with it? whether it's in my community or a company or a business or a larger scale in my state or country. Um, you know, even as, even as our kindergartners, they're able to participate in projects that make a difference in the world around us. What's really interesting listening to you is so much of what you're sharing with our listeners today is around the notion of transformation. And, and one of our biggest criticisms of schooling systems often is that their focus is on the transactional, uh, you know, moving from one space to the next uh, and, and not really listening to the inherent needs of the individual student. Uh, on your website, I'm, I'm reading some quotes from uh, parents who are most appreciative of the work that the Up Academy has done. And that there's one there talking about the transformation or, or truly change their son's life. And that, that that young man was lost in the, in the public school system for a period of time and that they they see their son as being bright, insightful and a sensitive young man. But of course, the public school system wasn't necessarily catering for that kind of nuance and the uniqueness of who he was. Can you share with our listeners what then would the average day for a student at the UP Academy actually look like from the, the moment they arrive and then they navigate throughout their, their entire day? Because it is highly personalised and catered for the individual needs. Can you just describe that for us, please? Sure, sure. You know, a piece of it is we break down each day into a different focus. Um, so Monday is a mindfulness Monday, Tuesday is Tinker Tuesday, um, Wednesday is Word Wall Wednesday, Thursday is Thankful Thursday, and then Friday is Flexible Friday. Um, so any given afternoon has a little bit more focus on it depending on the day that it is. 
Um, but students come in, you know, there's a morning circle, there's community time, they get a chance to share anything burning that's on their mind. And then they move into a literacy block. And so our younger ones might be doing multi-sensory phonics, they might be on a balance board reading a poem, they might be doing letter sounds while they're doing matching hands on a crossing midline mat on the wall. They might be jumping on a trampoline and doing phonics or, or snap words. Um, and so there's a multi-sensory English language arts approach. Each of the students then cycles through working individually with the educator as well. Um, so she knows where everybody is in their reading development and can challenge them to push a little bit farther. The same sort of thing happens again for math. So the students are in differentiated learning groups and our, our schedule. So we do small mixed age classes and our schedule lines up for these subject blocks. Because I'd love to, you know, we're a project-based learning school, and I'd love to say we teach everything through project-based learning, but the reality is elementary school students need that structure and they need that base of effective communication and reading and writing and phonemic awareness and basic math facts and math skills and fluency. Um, and so all of our, our classes line up. So for the kids who are a little ahead or a little more challenged in a subject, they may go to a different classroom, they may go to a different group. Um, to work within the activity centers and games and groups and work with their educator um, at their level. So for example, I've got a first grader who's came in reading at a third grade level. She goes to the third grade class for literacy and literature blocks, but is in her class for project time and math. Um, I've got a third grader who is a little bit behind in math. He goes and works with the second graders in math, but is in his age and grade level for literacy, so he stays there. So it gives us a lot of autonomy to meet students where they are um, and allows our educators to really practice their art of figuring out where a student is, how much challenge is gonna be constructive and how much is too much and being able to push forward and pull back within the different groups. We go to lunch, we have about an hour for lunch and recess and free play because um, kids' brains need to play. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't do homework. Uh, I'd much prefer that parents take their kid to the playground after school. Um, as, as adults, our brains clean and clear while we sleep. And that's when our brains wash itself and clear our information. And often if you have a problem, you go to sleep and you wake up and things are clearer. It feels, you know, you've got an idea of what you should do and how you should move forward. The old adage of just sleep on it. For kids, that same thing happens through play. They integrate their learning. They integrate what happened when they play on the playground. Um, so we try to stretch out our lunch hour. I mean, here in the States, lunch hours in public schools are typically somewhere around 25 to 35 minutes. Um, and that's for eating and play. <laughs> um, and so ours is closer to an hour to give them that break midday. Um, they come back in, there's time for reflection. So it's a 10 minute kind of meditation, quiet, voices are on whisper. They can read a book. They might have quiet writing time or to work on a piece of a project they were, but that's their quiet and downtime to get ready to learn again after the excitement of, of recess. Um, and then the afternoon could be many things. On Tinker Tuesday, it's STEAM and building and engineering and tinkering and creating. Um, on Mindful Monday, there's yoga in the afternoon. There might be a PE class um, and there's project learning time. Um, flexible Friday might have some academic choice in the afternoon because it's more of a flexible day. Um, it may have some project time that they're putting in. They might be, need to catch up on a liter uh, literature circle. Um, and so Friday's day molds around where the students' needs are from, from that week. That gives you a picture of what, what a student might be doing through a day. You know, Adriana, if I look at all of that, 
Mm -hmm. I'm seeing such intense, intentionally purposeful work. Mm-hmm. And what I'm, what I'm hearing there from you, Tanya, is something that has been well thought through, designed to achieve a purpose. You say it feels like any other school, but that design is, it's a step forward and up because what you're doing there is you have design for that balance between personalization in learning and the collective experience of learning between the individual becoming and the fulfillment of the group expectation and the group experience. In the COVID year of 2020, we learned to solve the problem that we've been wrestling with for 30 years about technology and education, and we did it overnight as a profession. At the same time, we've been complaining that we can't possibly personalise and we can't possibly do all the sorts of things, et cetera, et cetera, and it's too hard and we need more time and da-da-da-da. You're doing it, Tanya. You're doing it. You've thought through how to design an ecosystem that balances exquisitely the needs of individual students with a collective experience. So bravo to you. And I'm just going to be quiet now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, but you you bring up a good point because it is one of the things that frustrated me as I looked at my daughter's public school was how much time felt like it was frankly wasted. Um, and there were times when students would finish up work and there wasn't something else for them to do. And there wasn't a choice table. There wasn't a may do with the must do. And so we have really thoughtfully designed the schedule and the layout so that our students aren't bored, so that they have something to do that's interesting and challenging and engaging for them um, during any one of their you know, academic or project blocks. You've so eloquently described to us and our listeners today how academic achievement is so deeply intrinsically linked to creativity, curiosity, physical and emotional kind of wellness of each individual, the the development of their confidence, their self-esteem and their self-worth. And of course, this kind of connectedness to the world within them and of course, the world around them. So, So much of that relates to children understanding their connectedness and independence, interdependence, I should say, between people and the ideas and, of course, the nature in which they they, they work within and, and live and thrive. That happens because of courageous adults, adults who are deeply committed to, to their growth and have a deep consciousness of their needs. Can you talk a little bit about your staff and, and the type of preparation they undertake to support the young people in your care to move from a position of simply surviving but to be truly being seen and, and thriving? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still a new school. We're just in our third year of operation. Um, and so we're, we're figuring that out as we go. Mm-hmm. I've been extraordinarily fortunate that the school and the method of education and the ideology has attracted phenomenal educators to it. Um, so in all three years, you know, we've grown definitely, and we've learned a lot, but we attract the type of people who want to create curriculum who want to create possibilities for their students, who frankly want to have a lot of fun during the school day and really enjoy like playing with their students as much as teaching them and are learning as much from them every day as they're imparting. So we're, you know, we look for educators who are creative, who are flexible, who have kind of that startup mindset of anything is possible and let's learn as much as we can about about education, about neuroscience, about the best ways to teach, about how we can incorporate all of this into the classroom. And let's let's try a bunch of stuff and see, see what works and see what the kids respond to and see what they do well with. 
And so we do, you know, we've done professional development around project-based learning. I have a board member who's uh, specializes in social emotional learning. And so she does trainings with us frequently that then we bring into the school. Um, you know, as so many schools do, we started out with just a block of social emotional learning and it was Fridays at noon. This is our social emotional time. Um, and the kids looked forward to it and they loved working with her and that was great. And the teacher got a break. But what happened was then social emotional learning was only Friday at noon. It wasn't Monday through Friday from nine to three. Um, and so we realized by shifting that dynamic and bringing in the social emotional training and the development for teachers, um, both personally and to build the curriculum that now they can input at any time in the day that they need to. It can become part of morning circle. It can become part of closing circle. It can become community time during reflection or any other time of the day where an issue might arise, they can pause the day and, and put in a lesson around that. So it really became a culture piece of the school um, instead of just a thing that was you know one day for an hour. Um, so that piece of it has been huge in building, building the culture and the landscape and the vocabulary that all of us use together and with our students. Um, and then, you know, really my goal as a leader is to support them in the things that they want to do. So my goal is to provide the resources that they need um, and to remove any obstacles that are in their way. So to help them become the teachers and the educators and the leaders that they want to be. Bill, a, a leader of a school that gives permission to their staff. Revolutionary. Oh, I so love it. I just, I just, oh, wow. This is, this, is, this is a real- I have to. My, my, uh, my background is business. I'm not an educator by background. So my, my trust is entirely in them. And, you know, they're, we hire professionals and we allow them to do their job. Well, a school leader who respects her staff. Wow. Look, I... I, I um, uh, this, Excuse this, our sarcasm, Australian sarcasm. By yeah, the way. it's just it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's you know, there's there's so much of what you're doing which is living the theory of leadership. Uh, we've been conducting research into an education for character, competence, and wellness for about ten years now, and without bragging too much, we're running the largest research project in the world, the longest running research project in the world. In this part of what we've learned is that there are four intersecting theories around. Uh, what it is that you do to bring about the results that you're trying to bring about. So, and what you're describing, it, it, it just it just does it perfectly. So, there's the theory of everywhere, which says that what we do is occurring in all places at all times in a school. So, it's not just something that is is limited to 45 minutes on a Tuesday in this place, that place, or the other place. It's occurring all the time, so that everybody needs to be thinking about the way in which um, that's, you know, that sort of thing is, is happening. There's a, there's a theory of pedagogy that says that if it's occurring everywhere, then we need specific ways of thinking about teaching and learning. There's a theory of culture, which you mentioned, of course, which is how we perpetuate all of these things by creating that sense of the way we do things here. And then, of course, there's the theory of relationship, which is the theory around the relationship between leaders and staff, between staff and students, between staff and each other. And it, it has to be built fundamentally on trust. So here I am sitting here and going, wow, this is theory in practice. What other types of thinking are influential in the way that you do things at your school? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I'm thinking about it. Like, what are the other types of thinking? You know, I think I've hit on a lot of the major ones. 
you know, we really look to create a student-centered experience um, using our educational priorities of combining concepts with experiences, uh, creating an environment that allows for student agency and creates both, you know, structure and autonomy and finds that balance, um, allows for a really positive culture and, and a culture of growth and creativity and possibility. You know, one of the things that I kind of half joke with educators when they start with us is like, this is great. You're going to have all this room for creativity. Like we set school themes and then the educators build the curriculum, they build their projects, they have a ton of leeway with the things that they incorporate into those. Um, but the downside is you're going to have to create all of this curriculum and spend all of this time building all of these projects and figuring out how to bring in, you know, the different standards that you want to cover during that. And so making sure that that culture is that we're all we're all in this together and we're all working for the common good of the student, which was another another one of my real challenges as we moved away from the public school system, as I didn't want to be caught in policies and procedures and politics. I wanted to, to the best of our ability, be making the right decisions for students at the right times. Um, so creating that student-centered approach both in our curriculum and you know as a school uh, has been really important. Tanya, I'm really interested to know from you, how do you think schools can actually work to build a better world? A nice small question. <laughs> <laughs> We're only interested in the trivial stuff here. <laughs> I mean, schools in a lot of ways are the only thing that can work to build a better world. Um, but it's up to us as adults to create that and help our young people to understand and see the possibilities that are within themselves and within the world. You know, that's that's why so many of us teach and that's why so many of us are in education because we really believe that, you know, any student that we teach could be the one that leads a movement, could be the one that changes the world. Um, and that in our collective experience as educators and as a culture and as an environment and, and the people that we influence, um, that we can help to make, you know, that shift and the change that we want to see in the world whatever that may be for each of us as educators. But I think that's why we're here and that's why we do what we do. You know, for us, our grand vision has always been a generation of students that sees all people as capable and valued in their opinions and ideas. And if we can create, you know, in our little microcosm, a space where all students work together, where they collaborate, where they problem solve, as those kids grow, they remember those experiences that they had as an elementary school student. And even if they're not in an inclusion class in middle school or in high school, mm -hmm. they'll remember those students that they were friends with, that they worked with at a young age. Um, and so when they encounter someone in the office um, or someone in business, or when they're designing a building, you know, they have those experiences of working with people of neurodiverse backgrounds and they can design a little differently and they can create a little differently and they can work together a little differently. And so that's, you know, that's the grander vision of why we do what we do um, is to create that shift in culture um, away from kind of fear and uncertainty or unknown or less than or lower expectations into one where we're, we're all capable and we're all valued and our opinions all matter. Yeah, it's, it's really um, uplifting. Uh, and the pun was deliberately intended there with the use of word up. Uh, it's very uplifting listening to you fundamentally talk about seeing ability in every single individual and then helping the young people in your care to see to see the ability of others 
and, and their inherent greatness. Uh, it's so encouraging and, and you're doing some really exciting work there and important work in helping these young people feel seen, known, valued and loved. It's quite significant, in fact. My final question to you is this. Phil himself has curated this, this terrific course that he works with young people on, on a regular basis. And it's around the notion of a life of purpose. I'm interested in knowing, I think we've got a pretty fair idea what, what the answer might be, but I'm interested in knowing what is your life of purpose? Personally, I bounced around a lot younger. I, I taught snowboarding. I lived in the mountains. I was a yoga teacher. I sold beer for 10 years. Um, <laughs> and I, I always knew that there was something else that I should be doing. And for me, you know, having my kids was that turning point. And, you know, if it weren't for my oldest daughter, honestly, I probably wouldn't be in education, but because she was such a different sort of soul, it required a different kind of school. Um, and so that, you know, that's become what I do. And my purpose in life is to, you know, create this grander vision of, capabilities of all, of eliminating the expectations gap, of allowing children a school childhood where school is fun. I had one of our students tell me today how much she loved our school because we don't give her math tests every two weeks. You know, she loves coming to school and she's like, why is your school so fun? I'm like, because we designed it for kids to be engaged and want to learn. Like, <laughs> And that should be fun. Learning should be fun. That's become you know, my purpose is creating that environment for all of our students. And then how do we share that and reach out with the rest of the world? I would imagine that the phrase that young people need a different school shouldn't really be part of our vernacular anymore. Because because really what you've described is this notion of a flourishing future where you are designing, you know, for a better normal. And, and I hope that our listeners out there get to better understand the value in, in such a highly personalized approach, one that is deeply human-centered. Uh, and I just want to say for me, thank you very much for, for the work that you continue to do. I'm glad that you found this vocation. Uh, nothing wrong with selling beer, of course. <laughs> I, I think Phil enjoyed, I think Phil, you enjoyed that particular comment, mate. But but uh, I, well, I, I, may, I may have in fact had a couple of beers last night. So. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's really uplifting and, and in, enlightening to, to listen to uh, a parent and an educator and, and someone who is deeply committed to helping young people see their inherent possibility. Phil, over to you, my friend. Uh, thank you, Adriana. Tanya, I've got one last question for you. And, you know, and Adriano talking there about a flourishing future, that's, you know, that's very much his work that, that, that he does to help think schools to, to connect their values to their value proposition and then how that plays out. Um, in practice, at the end of the day, if if we get purpose right, and for, gee, it sounds like you're getting your purpose absolutely nailed, if we get it right and we build within a community of inquiry and practice, then what we should have happening is high-performance learning. We should have really, really high-quality learning. What are your three tips for our listeners around how to build a high-performance learning culture for staff and students within a community of inquiry and practice? I feel like that's a little bit of a loaded question because then we have to define what, what a higher quality learning is. Excellent. <laughs> and... Go for it. Go for it. All, it's all on you. Like it's, it's your definition, not ours. Yeah. And I, I just had the conversation the other day around, you know, grade levels and how they're, they're somewhat arbitrary. And especially now with learning all over the place with our students and coming out of the pandemic, you know, for, for us, higher quality learning is instilling that love of learning. 
And that happens when we build extraordinary relationships with our students, when they feel trusted, when they feel safe, when they feel secure uh, within their space, when we create the right environment and culture for our educators to thrive in that space. And when we're able to bring all of that together and combine the concepts that we're teaching with experiences that the students are having, those, I'd say those three things are the core of what makes it all work and makes, you know, the diversity, the inclusion, the working with students of different types of learning profiles and different types of needs all work together much more smoothly. So there we have it, folks. We need to instill a love of learning by building extraordinary relationships. We need to create the right environment for educators themselves to thrive. And then we have to bring it all together in the experiences and ecosystem that create for learners. I love it when a plan comes together, Tanya. I love this conversation with you today. I've learned so much. I'm just, both of us are deeply appreciative for you sharing your time with us and with with our listeners and providing this magical case study of what you can do if you take your purpose, you put it into practice and it's deeply informed by your sense of people and place. Thank you so much, Tanya. Um, Best wishes to you and the UP Academy and thank you for being on Game Changers. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful experience and a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by our school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.